Hey everybody, welcome to the Boy Howdy Podcast. I'm Annie. I'm Bill. And we are not, well, some of us are broadcasting from Bill's basement. I am broadcasting from my office because I have the Pax Pox. Annie is super fucking diseased. I have all the diseases you know, simultaneously. You're the only person I've heard that got sick after PAX this year, and everyone else seems to be okay for once. This is like the one year. Like This is the lightest amount of casualties I've ever seen come out of PAX. I wash my hands like every 30 minutes. I had sanitizer, and I had like little zinc tablets, and I got gross. Did you use the sanitizers at PAX? No. I had my own personal sanitizer. See, that's... Oh, okay, 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 okay. Because yeah. they still had, like, right by all the elevators and everything, yeah. Wasn't that... Wasn't that Erica's Matt who... He, wasn't he the one making fun of people using sanitizers and then he got sick? Yeah. A couple of years ago, there was someone giving out sanitizer packs, and he was like, oh, that's so offensive, implying that I need sanitizer. And then he got yeah, that may sick. have been the year of, of, of the swine flu, in which I actually got the swine flu. That was... Aside from when I got pneumonia when I was a kid... I should not be putting my hand in front of the camera like this. Uh, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was the sickest I've ever been. I was laid up for two straight weeks afterwards, like as in like in bed, not getting up, doing anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad that right now I don't I don't sound like I have been sounding, which I'm talking like this if I can't even. Talk are you it off. are you using a Pac-Man hat as a chamber pot? That's not how you know you're really sick from packs. <laughs> I'm not. Ah, I'm just saying. You know, you got the Pac-Man hat from Pax. It's sitting right there. You don't feel like going up all the way to the toilet. You know, it's like... <laughs> you just line it with, like, you know, like paper bag. Okay, <laughs> Bill. Anyway, hey, everybody. Yeah, we went to Pax last week. We, apologies for not recording an episode last week. We had every intention of doing so at Pax. Yeah, Bill actually lugged all the equipment up there to actually you lugged, podcast. You lugged your <laughs> laptop, my friend. It would have done the job. Like, uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, two of us shouting over an onboard microphone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Guess we vetoed that one. So sorry y'all didn't get to hear us talking from the showroom or proximate to the showroom floor. Instead, y'all get to hear us jibber about it after the fact as I am literally riddled with nerd disease. Literally a week later. I can't believe PAX has already been done for a week. Jesus Christ. Well, you went. You took the day off after PAX. You went to work. I've just been fucking around doing work all week, but yeah. Man, PAX. I took the day off after PAX and went to work. <laughs> Well, but then you went back to work. It's not like you took the whole week off. I know somebody will take the whole week off after PAX just to kind of like, yeah, I'm going to play some video games. I got home on Monday games. and I went to work on Tuesday. Where is that? Oh, you said off? you were going to take off on Tuesday. No, I almost, I didn't. I went to work. And uh, then snook. I got really sick and I wound up getting staying home on Wednesday. This is a really good podcast talk. So, Bill, what was the best thing you saw at PAX? Uh, well, the best thing I saw at PAX was the naked butts I saw in the first five minutes of PAX. Because ladies showed up and their butts were hanging out. That was the best thing I saw at PAX. And it was great. Actually, the first thing when I, the first day I walked up into PAX, I took the escalator up, and the first two people I saw that I recognized were the Mega 64 guys, or at least oh, yeah. two thirds of the Mega 64. Were their butts hanging out? It was the. T- oh, that would have been the. I would love to see those guys actually dress up like you know, sexy Samus Aaron cosplay with the butts hanging out. But no, it was it was the fat guy. It was the tall, skinny guy with the big nose, the scarecrow-looking guy. Uh-huh. Not, not uh-huh. the, not the like retarded and seasoned, sorry brother-looking guy. Oh, Bill. The brown guy. He wasn't there, but the other two guys that were there, and um, they were at the top of the escalator, right as two women, practically fucking buck naked, walking past the top of the escalator so much that people were stopping at the top of the escalator. And it was already creating a bottleneck. This is the first like thirty seconds of the first day of PAX. 
And uh, it was it was at, almost at risk of causing like an like an accident at the top of the escalator, and then finally some of the enforcers uh, said, "Come on, guys, so the movie can't just be staring at asses all day." But it's funny the Mega Sixty Four guys were there. That's what you think, my friend. The internet proves otherwise. Ah, that's what I'm saying. So no, Pax was Pax was pretty cool. It was great all the way up until we got home and we found out the micro well, was being a dipshit again. We'll but. get to that later. First, let's talk about our actual Pax experience before Pax we talk was, about our post. You know what? The Last of Us probably the highlight of the Pax for me. For a lot of people, actually, was the Last of Us panel where they showed off that secret ending to The Last of Us. Well, the secret. Uh, I get to that in a second. No, all in all, this was this was like my easily my best pack. So it was riddled with both adventure and misadventure. Uh, Thursday night, we went up with uh, we drove up with our pals Conley and Jimmy, and we're gonna crash at their aunt's um, apartment. And the person who was supposed to give us the key to their apartment never showed up. So we were in the unfortunate position of being in Seattle the Thursday night before a four-day PAX, um, having to get a hotel room at 11.30 at night. How did you swim? Where did you guys end up staying at? I can't remember the name of the hotel. It was, it was actually very pleasant. Um, fortunately, my wife has joined the smartphone generation, and we had, uh, from our trip to Vancouver, a friend of ours had recommended an app to us called Hotel Tonight, and mm-hmm. their whole thing is that they do um, last-minute vacancies at hotels and help them fill it for usually a discount. So we wound up spending only $350 on a um, king-size bed that, that all four of us piled into. Yeah. Yep. I was spending like 200 a night. That's for the Grand Hyatt right across the street from the convention center. Yeah. That's crazy. They were charging you 350 for that bullshit. Jesus Christ. Well, to be fair, its actual price is 500, and it was literally the night of on a weekend. That there were oh, I know, people. I know, I know. But still, you know, I'm oh. just saying I had a toilet and cable. <laughs> no, there That's were four of us. We 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 just stayed with me. Mm. I'm just saying, and that they actually that the, the hotels of the Grand Hyatt are fucking huge. You you we could have easily fit the, at least two of us on the bed. We could have, we could have squeezed a Conley in the middle. That was a queen kidding. bed in your room, Bill. That was a queen bed. It was so nice. It was so firm. It was oh, bad enough when there were four of us in a king. My window was overlooking the window of my hotel room was literally overlooking the main hall of PAX, like where Nintendo and all this shit was. There was a roof, so you couldn't see into it, and I could not. Jump out of my window onto the show floor, which that kind of bummed me out. I remember kind of sitting there looking, thinking, "Oh man, if there's an access hatch on the roof, I don't even have to get in line. I can just jump off my, <laughs> jump out my window." Exactly. And be it's like right there. West Power starts playing. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Oh man. Actually, yeah. actually, as much as it was an unfortunate incident, it was a lot of fun. Um, Jimmy and Conley are good people. They're good people to be stuck in a hard spot with. But the best part is Conley as she goes in the restroom. She notices that the um coasters underneath the little water glasses say, turn moments into memories. And the whole time, someone's like, so we're turning this moment to a fucking memory, right? It's like, hell yeah. Biggest past disappointment is that the hotel key cards at the Hyatt didn't have any video game shit on them. It was the like a picture. Mass Effect 3 yeah! stuff on it was last year was Mass Effect. And this year was like a cupcake, which is funny because I don't care about swag or anything like that. But that's one of the nice things when you check into packs. This is my fourth pack, so I'm always like, yeah, I'm gonna get my hotel key card with some kind of stupid bullshit on it. It's gonna be like you know Call of Duty guy shooting a rhinoceros in the head or something. But no, this year it's just like a picture of a dog. And I was like, okay, I'll t- dog's not bad, but it's a that's really cute dog, you guys. It's okay. Yeah, that I because I don't worry about swag or anything like that. That hotel key card is half as often as not is the only thing I bring back from packs, unless it's <laughs> disease. Exactly, yeah. I was going to say, I have something for you from PAX. <coughs> so, um, um, we had a lot of fun, and then we wound up um, on Monday. Um, they got into their apartment, and it was fine. But, um, shit, I totally lost my train of thought. I had a good PAX, Bill. It was pretty good. 
I like man, fucking lots of cheesecake. Everyone wanted to eat the cheesecake factory this year. I like I've gone to PAX four times and I'd never actually made it to the cheesecake factory. And I think I went to the cheesecake factory four times last week. <laughs> kind of made up for all the times I never got to the cheesecake factory. I've um, never been to the cheesecake factory either. And I gotta say, I enjoyed my cheesecake. Do not get me wrong, but as I was looking at the menu, I'm like, uh, we met a delightful boy howdy listener, Grumpy Turtle. There, it's very lovely. Met him and his lovely fiance. It was wonderful. Kelsey, yeah. As I was looking at the menu, I was like, man, they don't have prices on these drinks. So, well, little did I know that that was because it was $11 lemon drop, and they could not sell me an $11 lemon drop and look me in the eye. You had two of those lemon drops, too, right? Yeah. It was $22 with the lemon drops. How much is, like, a thing of whiskey? How much is, like, a bottle of Jack Daniels? Oh, about $22. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the reason why I don't drink out. That's why I buy a giant industrial bottle. This is the restaurant right across from the Washington Convention Center. You wouldn't... I mean, it was also $15 cheeseburgers. I was actually kind of surprised that a slice of giant cheesecake was only 8 bucks. They could have yeah. been charging like 20 bucks for that shit. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying, you don't expect to pay $11 for a drink in a factory of any sort. By, by, you know, by comparison, the $30 steaks you can get less than a block away at Vaughn's Steakhouse and Martini Shop. That actually doesn't seem that crazy. When you just paid, when you just dropped twenty two dollars on two lemon drops, yep. yeah, thirty dollars steak doesn't seem quite so extravagant anymore. Exactly. Um, but uh, no, yeah, PAX was. Yeah. I had the best PAX I ever did, and I'm glad because I'm never going again. But uh, no, it was really interesting because it was four days. Uh, my wife uh, has Fridays and Saturdays off, so she drove us all up on Thursday night, hung out with us Friday and Saturday, and then set mm-hmm. off Sunday morning. And the nice thing was that since she was not at PAX, and since PAX is four days, I took it, the opportunity to just kind of swan around Seattle and do touristy stuff. And um, Yeah, what kind of stuff did you do that wasn't PAX-related? I went down to, I mean, I didn't go do anything active. I went to the Carhartt store, bought me some new car shirts. Um, I went to uh, just went to a lot of antique shops and went down to um, Pike's Place a little bit and noodled and um, yeah, I was just uh, mostly just relaxed and wasn't at Pax, which was nice because I enjoyed I enjoyed Pax. I, I I had a pleasant experience, but it was nice to walk away and not be at Pax and be with people. Yeah, that was the one benefit of Pax being four days long and actually having tickets all four days was yeah, yeah you didn't necessarily feel like you had to cram everything into. Like you know, like two days or something. Because usually in the past, what I would have done, would I would just uh, take the train up on Friday, stay for Saturday, mm. and then leave Sunday. So really, it's only like a day and a half. So this is this was a change of pace actually going up on Thursday night, being there for th- all Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Monday. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, it was really it was really lovely. I saw some really good panels. Like Bill said, um, the first really this whole thing was an excuse for me to go see the Last of Us panel on Friday. Yeah, and let it be known that you were the first person in line. You were the first person into that hall for the last. Conley and I panel. actually the panel started at two, and I was so desperate to get in and to get in front row center because Foley wasn't able to go to pack. So well, here's my it. story. I showed up. What is it? Two o'clock. I showed up at eleven thirty to see what time the line was going to start. That's what I showed up. 11. No, and, well, that's what happened. Mm. I talked to the guy, and I'm like, well, did, is, is, is there a Last of Us line yet? Because I know this thing's going to be off the hook. And the guy says, oh, you're actually the second person to ask. No, we're not going to start the line until, like, 1 o'clock. Guess it wasn't until later. Yeah, exactly. I was like, of course, Andy's the first person who actually showed up, like, half an hour before I did. No. And, yeah, so we, I mean, and then, like, 15 minutes later, you showed up, and we got in line. Yeah, we were the first people in line. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, no, it was definitely worth it. It was very cool. Um, well, it, it, was a, it was a really snappy panel just because what they were, the what the Last of Us guys were doing, they were just showing off the pitch, the the uh, the prepared uh, pitch that they had been pitching to publishers for the game. 
Mm-hmm. And so instead of like it being kind of a shapeless Q and A or anything like that, it was just like here's I'm, like it was a ha- it was an hour long uh, uh, panel and forty minutes of it was just them just just going essentially just giving us the same pitch they gave. Well, not publishers, it must have just been the Sony directly mm-hmm. um, for the game. And yeah, that was very cool. Yeah, it was it was one of the most interesting panels I've ever seen, just because you a, you don't really get to see that sort of um, things from that early in the process in general. Yeah. And B, because um, it was interesting to see how much the game had changed. Like, I had known from looking at The Last of Us art book that Tess was originally the antagonist. Um, but it was interesting to hear about it in depth. And frankly, how much <clears throat> the game is, is largely unchanged from that original pitch, except for some critical components of the main, like, of that antagonist. Yeah, because they went down, but they went blow by blow through the whole plot of the original version of the yeah, game. The, the so they, this, yeah, the primary thread. So, but uh, yeah, what, it was interesting because had they made exactly the game they pitched, it would have been a far lesser game. Like the, um, yeah, it was just, it was, but it was very interesting. And well, how did, what, really well, why do you say players. that? Why do you think it would have been a lesser game? How it would have been so uh, so weaker had the um, the moment in the um, hospital not been the true co- climax of the game. That is the true climax of the game, and yeah. um, the motivation for Tess's antagonistic relationship was so weak and not interesting mm-hmm. that it would have been. Yeah. Oh, I'm not I'm not doubting you or anything like that. I just I hadn't re- I hadn't really thought to compare the two. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean. mean uh, the original version had a dog in it, and they didn't have the dog in the final game, which is kind of a bummer. For that was sad. Yeah, they were like, we wanted to have a Naughty Dog game with an actual dog in it, and we're mm-hmm. sorry we quite make that. Cut. Yeah, but yeah, it's, which, again, if you look at the Last of Us art book and pour over it, like I have in great detail, you will see that in a lot of the pictures they have a dog, and the reason why is they took the dog out, and it was going to be a whole thing. No, it makes sense why they took the dog out, absolutely. But um, yeah, it just would have, they would have lost a lot of the emotional punch had they had, and the purity of it had they gone through that route. But it was very interesting, and both um, both the gentlemen, uh, the creative leads of that game, did a real, are very compelling speakers and did an excellent job. So it was yeah. really enjoyable. Really and then they capped it off by showing the, the the joke ending of the game where it's all singing and shit. So I have to say this. So they uh, during the um, AMA uh, they did on Reddit a while ago, I didn't actually read this, but I heard about this. They said that, oh, well, we're going to have, as part of our PAX panel, a thing of Troy Baker singing in character as Joel. And my immediately, because I'm a dumb fangirl, immediately go to, oh, my God, well, you know, Joel would play the guitar and he wouldn't be a singer. If it was amazing to hear him play the guitar and sing us a song, it wouldn't be wonderful. Well, I mean, it's funny because the actor did the same thing, and there's a whole scene in Bioshock where it's the same thing where he in character as what Larry McCoy or whatever the hell he was playing in Bioshock. Bill, he, he didn't sings. sing, Bill. No, didn't he sing? Oh, no, he sang, and then What's-Her-Face sang for no reason. Like, it was like, oh, we're being chased by zombies, we should sit down, let's have a song. So, but, the uh, the theme of the game. Yeah, it turns out, that the, yeah, the, the, what they did was, as they were filming, um, the, the Last of Us is all motion capture, and they capture the audio in those moments as well. So, really, these are people acting out these scenes. <clears throat> as they're yeah, doing, on a motion stage, yeah. Yeah, so they did, like, on the eighth or ninth take of the scene in the hospital room where Joel bursts in. It's really um, the climax of the game. It's it's, it's, it's the, the big, last big cinematic, scene. yeah. Yeah, so uh, Neil Druckmann went to uh, the lady who played Marlene, and Coach Drew's like, okay, so just do this instead. And when um, great, Baker yeah. bursts in, uh, she, they very clearly are both uh, musical theater kids, by the way. <laughs> she bursts in and starts, oh. when he bursts in, rather than uh, speaking her dialogue, she sings it. And, uh, and the biggest, be- broadest, kind of like Les Mis, kind of yeah. like, no! Yeah. And uh, yeah, Troy Baker, because he is also equal parts ham, 
uh, responds in kind, and it was adorable. However, it was totally charming and adorable, but the whole time, like, this isn't Joel singing me, Annie, a song, <laughs> personally. I felt cheated, my friend. But, like, just the way he threw right back without missing a beat. And they did the whole scene. It wasn't just like they changed a couple lines and giggled and broke out of character and restarted. They did the whole damn scene yeah. with What's Her Day playing Ellie on the table, kind of chuckling, trying to keep from breaking character. And, uh, yeah, the, I mean, it, I can't believe this had never leaked up to YouTube yet. I don't I don't think anybody had recorded. I don't think, I don't, I don't, I still don't think it's up on YouTube yet. So the only place to have seen it is if you were live. I mean, this is a perfect PAX moment where this great outtake from this game, you can only see it PAX, totally justifies, you know, all the bullshit you have to do to get up to PAX. And, waiting and they, they had said that they were going to put it on YouTube or something at some point because people were... I'm sure it'll be, eventually be on YouTube. It was just kind of nice. It was really a treat for the fans who showed up to this goddamn thing. It was the first big fan event since the game had come out, so it was, it was very nice. Oh, man, and the thing about PAX is that, so that panel was really good. A lot of the other panels I went to were meh, but I will say this, the one thing I always forget is how excruciatingly painful any sort of Q&A of any sort. Oh, the Q&As are the worst, and I got to contribute to one, too, when I stuttered through a question to Tim Schafer at the That's right, Bill, line. you were part of the problem. Uh, what? The game system's coming out where there'll be enough for Broken Age? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's I mean, well, that's an accepted truism that Q&As at, at anything like this are always terrible. But this year was especially just like, oh my god, what? Like, the Q&A at the Last of Us panel, the first guy asking a question was something about a t-shirt? And yeah, just, it wasn't even a question. I'm just identifying t-shirts I saw in the game. I saw that Ellie had this yeah. one t-shirt, and I got a t-shirt at E3, and I didn't understand what it meant, but then I saw it play the game, and I understand what it meant in that t-shirt. The best thing was, while he was asking this question, a third of the audience walked out, because everyone just knows, like, you're not going to get any interesting information out of this Q&A, so people were already heading out to go line up for whatever next panel they're going to go to. And, uh, yeah, it was funny just to see even the, the, the most hardcore fans just having an exodus when the Q&A starts at half of these panels. Um, yeah. But so, uh, no. what were the panels that you thought were kind of eh? Well, I mean, let me go through the rest of my PAX experience, and we'll yeah. kind of organically be. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> I kind of left the con after that. I can't remember what I did Friday night. I just fucked around with people was that I love. It was lovely. Was that the first day? That was the first day. Jesus day two Christ. was all about Dragon Age Inquisition for me. I went to the Dragon Age Inquisition panel. Yeah, how was that? It was really great, I have to say. I'm really excited about that game. I went in, um, uh, it just looks like they're going for more of an open-worldy... Like, imagine Fable and Skyrim kissed and Dragon Age. They talked a lot about customization, which was really interesting. And what I what I thought was very sweet was um, Bioware made a, a lot of gestures to the fans, which was very enjoyable. But one of the things they did was Holly Conrad, who's the... Um, a prominent cosplayer, and um, she did. Uh, she's with the Crab Cat production. She did the awesome um, uh, Femme Chef cosplay and like grunt and everything, and had a whole crew rolling with her. Oh, <clears> she's. <throat> oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she was actually worked with Matt Rhodes to do the um, female armor design for Dragon Age Inquisition. So oh, that's what you told me about this. Yeah. Because she is a fabricator and cosplayer um, and costume designer, and as a woman, <laughs> understands that maybe you don't do things when you have boobs and you know a waist, and uh, uh, and they showed some concept art, and it actually looks really cool. I just wish that we could have a game that just looks exactly the way Matt Rhodes draws because We're... it makes me so happy. Uh, this is for next gen consoles, though, right? Well, it's launching next fall. Okay, presume. Well, I don't. Know, that's still maybe within the zone where a lot of games are releasing on both generations of of, of stuff. Uh, were there a lot of knives drawn over about uh about how bad Dragon Age Two was, per, at least perceived by so many fans? 
Let me put it this way. They made a lot of pointed comments about how they were addressing complaints. Like, for example, they showed um, one, uh, they showed, like, two or three environments, and one of them, they, they pointed out explicitly that um, this entire environment is larger than the entire world of Dragon Age 2 yeah. in, in, on one level, and uh, it is only one of many levels, and it's not even the, uh, the largest. Well, it's, yeah. it sounds like they've had a lot more time to work on this one than the last one, because what wasn't it even at the last PAX, one of the pa panels you attended was, I think, wasn't that before, right before they officially announced Dragon Age 3, but they were like, the future of Dragon Age. We're not going to say we're going to do a third one, but we're going to like be talking to the fans, and if you have crazy ideas for Dragon Age 3, this is a good time to let, let, let loose with it. And then they, yeah. Wasn't they that hadn't one? even, it was the pack, the first PAX right after they had released the game. And it yeah, that's what I'm saying, dropped. yeah. And, uh, yeah, they uh, they were like, we can't talk about, we're, of course, we have not confirmed or cannot confirm or deny that anything is in development. But if it were in development, hmm, perhaps we'd be doing things like this. And it looks it looks really it, I'm pretty pumped about it I gotta say I'm uh, one of the things they announced is that you could be a playable Kunari and uh, what's oh, a Kunari? They're the uh, let's see they're basically the oh Bill don't press the buttons Bill you know what I really love when you do visual effects on something that will eventually be a podcast. It's a really good radio. This is the only this is the first time I get to make a visual gag on our podcast. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, um, yeah, no, what, what, are you kidding? You've done many visual gags on our podcast. <laughs> At least ones that people can actually see. What are the Punari? The Kunari, the Kunari Bill yeah. are uh, vaguely Klingon, vaguely Krogan, uh, big brute race. Uh, they're super, um, super, super religious conservative. and uh, So you can be that character throughout the whole game? It's not like you're just switching off main characters or anything? No. Well, you always have your primary character in these games and um, one thing they had done in Dragon Age Origins is that you could be one of a number of races and they took yeah, that away exactly, yeah. in Dragon Age 2 because they were telling a very particular story at a very particular moment in time. So with um, <clears throat> Inquisition, you can they brought that back. You can be a, a human, an elf, a dwarf, or a kun which is interesting because oh, okay. they're they're like I said they're this race that's very much so driven by their very particular, very exacting, very conservative religious mores, and uh, the idea of playing an agnostic an agnostic Kunari is really interesting to me. Wasn't the whole point of Dragon Age Origins the idea that like added a lot of replayability to the game because that like, you can go like play each race's story? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, the so they're kind of going back for that their third one. It's not that it's not you're you're it's not that you're necessarily doing playing the same story with different races, but, like, that character will have different interactions with the rest of the world, depending on what race he or she is, or... Like, she'll ha like that they'll have a different story depending on what race they are, like the first one? It's so cute when you talk about things you don't really know about. That's what I'm saying. I'm, try I'm trying to parse... I'm, 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 I'm trying to piece together all the complaints I've heard about people have about from the first game to the second game. Because I've heard people also complain about how Dragon Age 2 is better than the first one, and they complain about how some of the stuff they didn't like. I don't know. I don't know. Bill, the only person you've literally heard that from is me. You've not heard that from anyone else. Oh, I know somebody was saying that Dragon Age 2 nope. was better than the first. Nope. It was literally only me. I'm the only person who prefers Dragon Age 2. But this doesn't Dragon sound Age like they're fucking it up. It sounds okay, though. Dragon uh, Age 3. Well, 
so Dragon Age Origins, the whole idea was that it was the origin story of these characters. So you could play any one of all these different races. Yeah. And even then you could play, like, you know, a, dr- a dwarf noble or a dwarf commoner, and you had these distinct origin stories. And as you replayed the game, you would have this, like, three- to four-hour unique origin story. And then those experiences would shape um, the world that you lived in thereafter. Dragon Age 2 stripped that all out because you, it was the story of Hawk. It was a very yeah. focused story at a very particular moment in time, and when you basically uh, are part of the events that make the world crumble and fall apart. And uh, yeah, this game, it's actually really interesting. So the Dragon Age world is shaped by um, a lot of religious conflict on top of all this supernatural conflict. So yes, there are monsters everywhere, and there's this whole issue of the uh, the blight but there are also all these um, political and religious conflicts that are happening in the world on top of a conflict between magic users, which are basically walking nuclear bombs, and the people who are trying to regulate and maintain the magic users. Mm -hmm. So you've got all these conflicts going on. Dragon Age 2, everything comes to a head all at once and explodes pretty dramatically. And so Dragon Age Inquisition, you're dealing with the fallout of those events at the same time as another terrible supernatural event occurs. So <clears throat> there's a huge like religious war that's 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 tearing the world apart in addition to monsters from the sky. So, uh, let's put it this way, couldn't be any worse than Fable 3, the end. Phil a, a slap in the face is better than Fable 3. <laughs> a slap in the face followed by a poop directly in your mouth and then taking someone's jaw and going, rrr, 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 Have we talked about Fable they're making 3. another Fable game on the podcast yet? But it's how cool. it takes place like in the Age of Heroes, it's a prequel and has nothing. You know, Peter Molyneux long since left, but it's still Lionhead. But who knows what the hell that means these days? But well, it's yeah. it's gonna it's not really a Fable game. It's like well, no, it's, it's not in the same way that the old Fable game. It's not a core Fable game. Yeah, it's not supposed to be like Fable Four or anything. We but, we had yeah. talked about it last week because I told you about the whole idea of you could be a, a person. Um, yeah, be the bad guy controlling all the. It, you, it could be up to four people simultaneously, I guess. And yeah, you, then people choose like if you want to be a bad or whatever, Technically, you know? five people build because you get four heroes and then the antagonist. <laughs> and then we complain because it's probably not going to involve what's her face, the sister from the Fable games, who turns out to be the antagonist in that. Well, story. it can't be because it's set during the Age of Heroes. I know it's bullshit. This is the worst podcast we've ever done. Every podcast we managed to. Do you get to play as Jack of Knives' mom? <laughs> Jacqueline of Knives. <laughs> That's right. She's really just like Tupperware filled with knives. That's my joke. Anyway, the Dragon Age panel was really, really good. Uh, Though it was filled with dude bros. Man, PAX is fascinating because it's a... You meet all these like-minded people and these people who value the same things that you do, and then you meet all the assholes... It's fine if you. This is this is really. I really do have two had two very distinct PAX experiences. There was the PAX experience I had when I could share it with someone, and then there's PAX on my own, and they're dramatically different. Because when you have someone to share it with, you have someone to talk to about it, you have someone to share enthusiasm and experiences with. But when you're on your own, you're just stuck listening to all these terrible conversations as you wait in a two-hour queue. Uh-huh. The worst. Oh, I heard jackasses talking about. Um, at the Dragon Age panel, um, yeah, Conley was listening, actually moved in her seat because she was listening to some dudes talking about how Bioware is trying to push their homosexual agenda and pushing queers up in their games and making them interact with them. And, and uh, yeah, I heard, like, this most terrible conversation these Halo guys who were just talking about tits as I was waiting in line for something. It was just... What were they talking about tits? Were, like, Cortana's tits? 
Yeah, and then just moved on to game boobs in general. It was she just, does have pretty amazing tits for a computer program. It's literally the last conversation I hear. So there's all that. And then, um, like, uh, Sunday I had, like, the worst day. I'm so glad that Sunday wasn't the last day of PAX. Because I was on my own, and um, I heard some terrible things, and I played a not-great game, and I went to a not-great panel, and I went to a party that, through no one's fault... But I just was not in the mood for it, and I just. What was the not great game in the not great panel? I'm not gonna say either because that's not fair or kind. Or is that wait? Was it the hot party? I left. No, Bill. It was Sunday. I hate you so much. Oh, this must have been the double fine panel. Hey, Bill. No, it wasn't. Bill. Bill. Do you notice the thing I just said? Where I don't want to say because I don't want to be mean. Did you notice that? It's the internet. What's the internet about? But not be mean. I don't want to be the asshole on the internet. I'm just saying. Uh, the Mega 64 guys, their feet look weird. So, and then I left the party, and then walking home, I saw three men piss in the street, and uh, went to my empty hotel room. Welcome to PAX! Welcome to PAX! But no, then uh, Saturday I had a great day, or it was just a Monday I had a great day. I went to some really good panels, and I, um, what was interesting was, uh, the, the, literally the last thing that happened to me at PAX was awesome. I, um, uh, met up with a really sweet boy howdy um, lady like listener named Christine. Unfortunately, like literally got stuck to her about five or ten minutes and then realized that the gender diversity in gaming um, panel was starting, had to bail. And then waiting in line for that panel, I met this really interesting lady who had been a cop for 11 years and now is mm-hmm. working for the National Forestry Service and was involved in the interactive fiction community. And uh, it was so cool because, she, and I was so fascinated by her because A, she was a really nice and interesting lady, but B, her experience, I, I felt very interesting because I felt like, here are the dude bros, um, here's me, and I'm like really engaged in AAA, but also like kind of more indie games, but even then I don't have a very good computer and I have a Mac, so I'm kind of limited in what I can access there. And then there's her who's like entirely up involved in the interactive fiction community. And I just and I felt like we had a really great conversation and talked about what was important to us in gaming and it was really, really gratifying and really interesting. And then the gender diversity in gaming panel was the most interesting panel I'd been to. I was really wary of it only because on uh, I can't remember what night I went to go see a panel on called um it was like called Foreplay Romance and Games. And I was looking forward to it because um Two of the people on the panel were um, Patrick Weeks, who did, uh, like, Garrus and Tali and Miranda and all those arcs for um, Mass Effect. He's a writer for the Mass Effect. Oh, okay, games. yeah. And um, his wife, Karen Weeks, who is an editor at BioWare. And so I thought, well, that's a fascinating perspective because they're both involved in the writing process at BioWare in addition to being a married couple. I'm like, that's an awesome perspective. And then there was a woman on that panel who did visual novels and... That was a really cool perspective. And then the three other ladies in it, bless them, this is not a, a slag against them, we're just game, we're just, um, gaming podcasters. Yeah. And so the were they, they, weren't, they weren't hosting, though, right, too? So they were just providing that, like extra discussion stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the panel turned into... Yeah, um, that's a little uh, weird. It turned into um, fawning on Bioware, which I love Bioware, and Bioware is, they're like, they are doing a lot of romance and games, and that's worth discussing. But it, and it turned into, who's your favorite relationship? I'm like, this is not a conversation about romance and games. Were the, were, were the podcaster people contributing to that? Oh, yeah. I mean, see, that's like, the, I could see if you have, like, really badass podcast friends or something like that. You think, well, okay, they, they could help moderate and move discussion along. But if they're just going to be there saying, well... What's my what? You know what's good? My I like Tali's exhaustion port. 
joke with the straw. That was good. That yeah, was that's kind of what it turned into. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's not, not informative. Yeah, that's it was not, not necessarily terribly. Inter- I don't mean to be a negative Nelly. No, 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 but I mean, nah. it was not. It was it was not what I wanted from it. And then on there top are, of that, yeah, to the right of me were these asshole dude bros, and I'm like, why are dude bros <laughs> at the romance panel? And to the left of me was a were parents with their baby, their crying baby. There were a lot of babies of packs this year. And then behind me were these people who would not stop their conversation during the whole panel. People and brought was... a baby to the giant bomb panel, and that is a <gasps> three-hour-long panel of people just swearing and throwing shit at the audience. <sighs> yeah, people, yeah, yeah. It's almost like people aren't that smart. <laughs> And also, gamers just happen to be people, so that well, means gamers don't happen to be that smart. I felt like such a prick leaving that romance and games panels, because I've never in my life thought this. But in that moment, I was like, you know what? I am involved in two podcasts, a gaming podcast and a romance podcast. I am more qualified than those women on that panel. You know, I mean, in the future, I mean, you know what? If if yeah. Mike Krahulik keeps on putting his foot in his mouth, they're going to be looking for all the women possible to ju- to justify Pax still being there. I mean, I'm just saying, I've met all three of my podcast listeners, and they're very passionate about what I do. Yeah. So, no, clearly. I mean, you know what? The only reason you probably even went to that had that panel to go go to is because Mike Krahulik stuck his foot in his mouth earlier this spring, and so they had to, like, load up the panel schedule with a whole bunch of gender diversity stuff to kind of make up for that, so... But anyway, well, so I was really... I was really... I'm gonna keep talking. I was really (laughs) apprehensive about this gender panel because that romance panel was so unfortunate. And Mm -hmm. it's just, I felt like, as we're going into this romance panel, um, I was, uh, or in, uh, the gender diversity panel, and I was looking at the lineup, and I wasn't familiar with anyone involved except for Neil Druckmann. It was a four-person panel, so it was like, oh, here's Neil, Neil Druckmann. Neil Druckmann is the is Last the, of Us guy? Yeah, he was a creative director in The Last of Us and also Uncharted 2. He was the main guy. He was the beardy guy, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. a really good beard and really sweet accent. Yeah. He's adorable and very nice guy, it seems like. But, um, so it was him. It was someone who just identified as a freelance writer mm-hmm. and then two gaming journalists. And I'm like, well, you know, if I, I'd been so burned by that romance panel that I was like, well, it would have been interesting had we had the perspective of someone who's um, maybe involved in, frankly, the bad decisions about gender diversity in games. Not that they could ever do that. But, like, it would be interesting if you had, like, an executive there or a marketing person there who's speaking to that aspect of it so you can actually have a dialogue. Because I was just like, I want to have an, I want to hear an actual conversation that's interesting. Because the panels I went to were either just presentations or things that should have been discussions and were not. And I was kind of disappointed. But no, the gender diversity panel was fantastic. It was really great. It turns out that the freelance writer was this woman who um, did freelance writing for games. And her last project was actually Tomb Raider. So her perspective was really interesting. On top of that, she also writes for television. So she kind of had experienced the the, the range and was also coming from the perspective as a, of a woman writing for media. Mm-hmm. And then the two gaming journalists, and I'm blanking on both of their names now. Um, one was a, a lady um, a editor at um, Polygon, who was who she was, she drove the panel. She did an excellent job. She had excellent questions prepared, and she had a great perspective as well. And then there was a trans woman who writes for um, Gamespot, I think. 
and they were all very eloquent. They all had really interesting perspectives. It's not that I was learning anything groundbreaking or new, but it was a really good conversation. And I heard a sentence that I have not heard the whole time. I respectfully disagree, and someone brought up a different point. I'm like, this is like an actual conversation. How delightful. It was really wonderful and really interesting. And the question and answer section did not make my skin crawl, and in fact led to further really insightful conversation. So that was like the best possible panel to end PAX on. That was the last thing you did. You did, did you go yeah. straight from there to the train station? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that is a nice night. Yeah. It that, was great. Yeah. It was really, really good. I hope that panel winds up online somewhere just because it was really interesting and well moderated. No, I'm still surprised that, like, especially with PAX having a long hit its saturation point with this, in terms of how many people can show up to PAX and everything like that. I am still surprised they don't have uh, uh, like an online streaming pass you can just buy, where you could, at least if you can't come and you know, play the games and stuff like that, at least with the panels, I'm surprised. Because the, they're starting to consistently stream more panels. They, they, had, uh, uh, they were streaming every event that was either in the main theater or the Kraken theater. And so a lot of that stuff was streaming. I think a lot of it has been uh, archived on Twitch.com. But I am surprised they haven't even just, like, a, even from a monetization point of view, haven't tried to create some kind of a package for people at home who can hang out. I mean, the panels are kind of, aside from hanging out and meeting people at PAX, the panels are the best part. Because fuck the games. Nine-tenths nine of all the games I've ever shown at PAX, they're, they're going to be out uh, on retail in, like, three months anyway. It's not that big of a deal. But uh, Well, my, my thing with games at PAX is that, at least for me and the kind of games I want to play at PAX, is the worst place to experience them. Well, yeah, that's because you're special. If you want to play some, if you want to play some Zelda, if you want to play some Titanfall, this is where yeah. you go. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. The, the the only game I touched all weekend was Zelda for the for the um 3DS, and it was like, oh, it's just Zelda for the 3DS. Okay, I'll be an asshole. I'll talk about the one game I played, but then I'll explain why I feel like I don't feel like it's necessarily super informative. But it kind of yeah. highlights what I mean. So. I went to um, wait in line for the Telltale um, Wolf Among Us game, which is their next um, uh, adventure game that's based off the Fables property. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I enjoyed Fables. I enjoyed the first. I should say I enjoyed the first arc of Fables because it really focused on uh, the Fables universe is all the fairy tale creatures are real. They exist in this world because they've been driven from their homeland and they are uh, basically hiding amongst normal humans but they have to do these glamours to make themselves look like normal humans and they have all their internal politics and backbiting and all that. And eventually it turns into a Middle East parable which is exactly what I wanted from that comic. But the original arc is about Bigby, who's the big bed wolf, mm -hmm. <clears throat> who is the sheriff of the fable community, um, investigating a, a murder. And I really enjoyed that. I liked the character of Bigby. I like his relationship with Snow White, I think it is, and the way they set that up. I thought that was interesting. And then it, the, the story went in another direction that I wasn't interested in. Well, this Telltale game seems to be focusing on that. You seem to be Bigby investigating either a crime or series of crimes, which I'm down with. <clears throat> but the so I waited in line for an hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah, that was a long line. Yeah. Well, I went when the queue was only half, not even halfway through, like a third mm -hmm. full. When, what I day did you go? Day. It was like I can't remember what day, but I went at the end of the day. It was like when I went and got in line, there's only an hour and a half of packs left. Yeah. So I figured it would have died down. I'm like, oh, no problem. Oh, I waited until Monday. I was going to do most of my, like, whatever I was going to do on the show floor until Monday, thinking that no one was going to show up, because everyone I knew, aside from you, who had gone to PAX, was leaving Sunday night. So I thought, man, fucking Monday is going to be a ghost town. 
Fucking nope. It was nope. still fucking packed. It's yeah. Nuts. Woof. Ugh. The fact of that is that half of 100,000 people is still 50,000 people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was even surprised on Friday when the gates opened. It was as busy on Friday morning as it usually is on the busiest it is on Saturday afternoons. That's and nice. just, yeah. For all over the four days, I spent maybe two or three hours at the most on the show floor. I mean, the show floors are still small enough. You could easily do a circuit around the show floor in just like in, in half an hour. I mean, granted, you're not going to be staying in line to see anything. But still, it was just like, you know, it was cool to see stuff. But yeah, I mean, the show floor is kind of like the least interesting part of PAX. Yeah. And I mean, that's the one that tends to draw most people because it's, it's you get to feel like you're in the game industry because all these demos and people yelling, screaming, and, and booth babes and all well, this it's shit. It's a carnival atmosphere, dude. It, it really is, yeah. That's what a convention is, man. That's yeah, I, I, I got free Pikmin patches from the Nintendo booth. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm immune to this stuff. I, I so, waited in line. I, I gawked at people playing Wind Waker HD. I'm not saying I'm better than people, but I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying people. I'm <laughs> people. Not uh, better for Sam, just what, I'm what are your opinions people. about Can I finish can I finish telling my story that I was telling Bill? Oh, what's your story? How's it end? What's can the I, climax? Can I tell about it? Can I finish? How many people story? die at the end of the shootout at the end of this fascinating story about so, the big I waited in line for an hour and a half to get into the Fables game and I get in and they had a really beautiful booth and the people running were really nice. <clears throat> and I was not certain about you bros, I actually had a lovely conversation with the guy behind me. Mm-hmm. And uh, get in there and so I should say, y'all may remember, Bill definitely will because it drove me nuts. I oh, downloaded yeah? the demo for Walking Dead and didn't play it because I just did not like the gameplay in the demo. It focused on an action sequence that I you, thought... This was... is the demo on the 360, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I also downloaded it for Mac. I didn't like the combat at all. Well, did you it turn was... on the voice controls for the Mac version? We could just say, hey, watch out! No, don't pick it up! Watch out for your heart. It's like it's 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 like it's like being at the movie theater. Y'all at the at the screen. I'm really glad that this is a video podcast, so everyone, if they are interested, can go see Bill <laughs> make his. I'm making a joke <laughs> face. Clementine, watch out! He got gun. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. that that'll be the ultimate ultimate connect party game where just yell back at games like no. Anyway, shut up. So the Walking Dead demo did the opposite of its job for me because it made me not want to play it. I'm like, this is not fun. This is difficult. Or not, yeah. not not even like it is it is not easy for me to physically perform the tasks they're asking me to do. I don't want to do this. I don't want to pay for the right to do this. Yeah. And sure enough, I mean to be fair, for most people, what are you gonna sell them on? Are you gonna sell them on a dialogue tree and making decisions? Or are you gonna sell them on like an action sequence? And sure enough, the the Wolf Among Us demo was the same thing. It was big. It was all action shit, yeah. Big B walking into an apartment, you have a brief conversation with the fable in the hallway and uh, go upstairs and you uh, interrupt an altercation. Oh that's right, because well, I forgot the Walking Dead demo was like you're you're wrestling with that first zombie at Clementine's yeah. house and yeah, and all the action stuff in that game was the least essential stuff in that game, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, uh, I, it's, having played the game, I see its value. I think it's a good break. Well, taken as a else. whole, especially if we're five parts, yeah, you exactly. realize how small a part of that game is, but yeah. And even then, uh, I think the difficulty is actually, you could, I genuinely believe it's Telltale in their engine. I don't, I'm not gonna say this is necessarily You said it's all the, still the same art direction. They only have, like, one art director, so everything kind of tends to look the well, same. Well, I'll get to that in a second, but, um, that's not what I'm talking about here. Um, okay. I, and it's the, um, the, the, I think the difficulty and the, how hard it is, or not, see, I know, I know most y'all listening to this are like, it wasn't hard as easy, I man, I'll do that. I thought it was dumb and needlessly complicated and didn't use the language of games that you teach people to use for those sort of scenarios. Do those games have um, difficulty settings? No. 
See, that's weird. Because if you could like, if you could do like a Mass Effect three thing where you could say, I don't want to worry about the action stuff. I just want to worry about the narrative stuff. That'd be kind of cool. My point is, is that I feel like it was supposed to be a little difficult and easy to fail because mm-hmm. I think that actually does add to the tension and tone of the game. There should be an element of frustration. There should be an element of fear. I don't think it was deliberate, but holistically, I think that it did ultimately serve more than it impeded. But having said that, I did not buy that game until like four episodes were out because the demo made me so mad. Mm-hmm. But anyway, no, the um, Fables game looks beautiful. They're doing the same thing they did with Walking Dead, where they realize they're never going to go for... They should never go for reality. They should just go for intent instead of stylization. And in The Walking Dead, I think it served them incredibly well. I think that game was really attractive for being as simple as it was, for going for that kind of pseudo-cell-shaded thing that was um, you know, made to look like the comic. Mm-hmm. And in um, The Wolf Among Us, they're following a very similar route, and they're adding to it a little more beyond just having these elements of the textures that look like ink. Like, for example, Bigby's beard is, in fact, just like the texture. He's just got like, hatch marks for his stubble. Oh, that's kind of cool. But on top of that, they did, um, they kind of followed it up with the shading. The shading, all the shadows in the game are like a, um, a three-step shadow, where you've got, you know, you know you've got your, your light um, hitting whatever surface and showing it the texture. Then you have this harsh, yeah. yeah, you have like this harsh, um, like, lighter shadow, and then you just have black for the darkest of the shadow. And it totally fits in with the noir aspect of it, and it totally fits in. Oh, yeah, it's, it's very kind of graphic looking, yeah. It's really appealing, and it really serves their purpose. Okay. And I think it's really smart for Telltale to pursue this. But yeah, I was complaining to Bill. This is not fair. But they very clearly have a character designer at Telltale that's been working there since the first games. Because I've been playing You Telltale said they've been working there since Bone, right? <laughs> Whoever this is, you can tell. Yeah. There's a way they draw yeah, I forgot they did Bone! I can't believe Oh, Jesus Christ, well. that feels like a million years ago. It was, and you may as well forget it. Though the gameplay uh, is exactly the same. Imagine if they could get the phone license back and actually do a good version this time, just to make it make it up to fans. Um, oh, I'm such an asshole. Anyway, but yeah, so you, there's Big B, and he looks he looks great. He looks like the comic, but like kind of in transitional thing that's unique enough to the world. And you meet Toad, who's the fable you meet in the hallway, and he looks great. And his character design is great. You go up the hallway, you burst in this room, and there's the woodsman. Um, uh, and he looks exactly like every single Telltale character. He looks like he could have been in their original poker game with the surfer guy, <laughs> or in, in Bone. And I was just like, oh no! That game comes out this year, though, right? It's I sooner think, than later. I think it does. Well, it's gonna be I episodic. Was super bummed when I saw Telltale was gonna have a booth, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get me a Clementine hat. And I go over there, and it's just like a black box. It was It's a black box with a door that has like a hand drawn like little Crayola note saying oh, video game a, in here. You're an asshole. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah, it was to play. It was not a merch booth. Yeah, it, so, it, it said Wolf Among Us, but it was even smelled incorrectly on the Crayola sign right outside the front door. I was like, what the I fuck? I hope is you guys are shit? enjoying Bill's quality. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you think about Keiji Inafune sans? I have to say san because I am in the Japanese thing. And in case he's listening, I have to make sure I pay him respect. So he will put me in his game. Uh, what do you think about his new Mega Man game that ain't a Mega Man game? You were there at the panel, right? I'm deeply emotionally invested in this project. No! This is, this is actually... This is... A, for, 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 the, uh, for the retro geek crowd at large, this is definitely the coolest thing that happened at PAX, where uh, KJ Anafune, the guy who uh, originally invented Mega Man, and yeah. actually had a hand in a lot of old uh, Capcom stuff. He was, I think he worked on Resident Evil, he worked on uh, Dead Rising, all kinds of different uh, bullshit. Uh, yeah, he announced at PAX 
that he is uh, he is making his own. It's essentially another Mega Man game, even though they're, they're, it's called Mighty Number no. Nine. Um, from, mechanically, it sounds like a lot of the same, where you're like going off and fighting individual bosses, and I don't know if you're absorbing their powers and stuff like that. But it, they he announced the Kickstarter, and they actually li- launched the Kickstarter live there in the uh, in the. Uh, auditorium, which was pretty cool. And the two player productions guys were there. I was really shocked to see them in the crowd because I had no idea that this was going to happen. They're making a documentary about the making of this game. This is like their 18th game documentary that they're working on now. Yeah, Jeremy well, that'd Parrish. be interesting just to see the perspective of Japanese gaming developers. Well, exactly. That I mean, even aside from the from you know the 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 pedigree of the guy involved, yeah, exactly. Like, because I wonder kind of how in depth that documentary is going to be. But how much access? Because I'm glad it's good. It sounds like it's going to be um, mostly a bunch of older Japanese guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Inafune's had made a particular point that a lot of the people he's working on this game with are people that have worked on other Mega Man games and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how much they're going to open up the gates and let people kind of uh, catch yeah. a peek. In the, in the development of that stuff. And they handed out shirts to everyone in the crowd. Everyone, each shirt had a very specific number, uh, mighty number. I think I'm mighty number seven thir- 743 or something like that. But it was very cool. Yeah, Jeremy Parrish interviewed the guy on stage. It was great because yeah. at the beginning, uh, there had been a lot of rumors going on that this guy was going to announce a new Mega Man game at his panel. And they start off the panel, they're like, oh, we know there's rumors floating around that we're going to announce a new Mega Man game. We have to break it to you. We're not going to announce that today. We're just going to talk to this dude. And they talk to this dude at, for like half an hour, and then suddenly they're but we are going to announce something special. And then they announce the whole Kickstarter and unveiled the whole new s- yeah. s- pseudo Mega Man thing. And it look, the game looks fantastic. There's no in-game assets yet. They just started development. It's all just concept art and stuff. But it seems really cool. It's 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 Yeah, this guy left Capcom years ago, so... Um, it's nice to see him. It's a little weird that he is kind of falling back on his old stuff because he, what? I think he, a I retro think... game developer falling back on that which they're best known for and asking I, money for it. I I think when he left Capcom, part of his thing was like they just keep they just want me to keep on making the same Mega Man game over and over again. It's funny that like a couple of years you know flash forward, he's like, oh, no, no Mega Man game. You can't call it Mega Man, but we're gonna we're gonna give him a pair of headphones and. I don't know, but it still looks cool. And like they, they've already like the Kickstarter has already raised double of what they were asking for in less than a week. Um, the they're they're almost uh, like funded to the way where like they're going to guarantee like console versions of all this stuff, and it's very cool. And it's still got like three weeks to go, and I haven't even contributed because I'm trying to figure out how much I want to contribute because I definitely want a version with like a retail box and all kinds of stuff like that. But I'm waiting to see how like I am stone broke right now, so I'm waiting to see how much money I have by the end of the month that I can justify dumping into Kickstarter stuff like that. Did you see? that Jill Thompson's Kickstarter is going to end within the next couple days. And she's still pretty much short. Jill Thompson, her Kickstarter for her dolls that we yeah, mentioned on the podcast before. Godmother. Yeah, she's 13k short, which is a little alarming, but she, that's another person who definitely deserves people's money. And, uh, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, 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 KJ Anafuni, Mega Man stuff is That's pretty awesome. Uh, friend of the podcast, Filthy Evolved. He's not really friend of the podcast. Because he doesn't listen to this podcast because he's smart. Uh, he's actually community manager for this project. But, like, he, he used to work at Nintendo Power. He's the guy who got me my in so I could draw the last issue of Howard and Nestor for Nintendo Power. He's community yeah. manager. 8-4, uh, the company uh, ran by uh, John Ricciardi and Mark McDonald in Japan that do a lot of localizing stuff. Uh, they're in charge of a lot of the development of the game in Japan. I don't know if they're in charge, but they're uh, some, somehow involved. At least they're doing a localization. And there's just a lot of very cool people involved in this project, even aside from the original Mega Man guy being in charge. And I don't know. It's very cool. Mighty Number no. 9, go Google it. Back that Kickstarter. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, that's awesome, Bill. What else? 
What else? Uh, no, I didn't get packs. I yeah. spent a lot of money at the Double Fine booth. They they were giving away these little uh, or they were selling the um, they had done like little blind box minis for all the cave characters. Mm-hmm. But they said they were giving they were selling ones that were blind box of uh, the Psychonauts characters. So yeah. when they bought the whole set, yeah, I also spent too much money at packs. Yeah, that was what seventy for... bucks for all. Yep. Was it ten characters? Yeah. But did yeah. you get any for okay? I, I I threw down for one blind box and I got like little old lady with Mr. Pokeloop. Why do you keep calling her a little old lady? How she is it? I Mr. Pokeloop. I'm like fifteen years since I played the game. I <clears throat> a total recall of this game I played on the Xbox One like ten years ago. Uh, I was fine, but yeah, no, I bought my I bought my Mr. Pokeloop from Chris Remo. Yeah. Who, I didn't realize it was Chris Rebo because I only know him from Twitter. And I remember, I recognized his face. And I was like, man, that guy looks familiar. He's on Twitter somehow, but I can't remember who he is. And then he opened his mouth and I was like, oh, it's one of the guys from Idle Thumbs. And I was yeah. like, I even said that. I was like, I, I, I have no idea what, I can't remember what your name is, but you're from Idle Thumbs. You do an awesome podcast. And I bought my figure, turned around, and the moment I kind of turned around, I was like, Oh shit! That motherfucker done wrote the game music for Gone Home. Yeah. And I turned around to go suck his dick some more. And I like back right into some old lady who was standing behind me with like her little kid. She was. Eh, it's funny to see like some of the parents getting dragged to packs. Yeah. From booth to booth and stuff, and they're even more like, "What the fuck is going on here?" <laughs> um, oh, the cutest thing that happened to me at packs was this: we, uh, Colleen and I, were waiting outside of. Uh, oh, we had just been told that we, you know, we cannot wait in line for the Last of Us panel, and uh, we we left the hotel, and this this cute little old lady and her husband came up to me, and she said. Are you here for the convention? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> is it one of those? Uh, is it for one of those online games on the computer? And I was like, well, yes. And I explained to her about PAX. I'm like, well, it's not just that sort of game. That's absolutely an aspect of it. It's also for games you play on your television, and even things like card games and board games, and like any sort of game is a celebration of it. I'm like, I even have a pack of cards in my bag in case I want to play something. She's like, yeah. oh, that's our speed. We can do that. Okay. <laughs> And she was so funny. She's like, and people come to this? And I was like, yeah, there are like 100,000 Only, people yeah, only tennis. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Only she was like aghast. Absolutely aghast. Did, what was the, did you see any fucked up cosplay or anything like that? Because I saw a couple, there was a fat guy, and it looked like his son. There was a fat guy, like not quite as fat as me, but it was a big dumpy guy, dressed like Princess Peach carrying a frying pan. That was hilarious. But then he it looked like his like little like like eight year old son was dressed like Mario. And he was like Aww. gliding him by his hand. There was this like fucking six foot tall string bean motherfucker, skin tight like a green outfit, dressed like Tingle from the Zelda games, had the makeup on his face and everything. He just looked like a maniac freak, but it looked hilarious. Like I just love people who like go out of their way to say, you know, I have a fucked up body type, but I'm gonna cosplay as this for anyway because it's fun. And... I saw a lot of really good cosplay. I was not prepared emotionally and physically for all the Joels that would be at the Last of Us panel. Yeah, I saw a lot of Ellie's. Yeah, I, there were still a lot of Fiona and Cakes running around. Yeah, a, a, a lot of Finn and Fiona's uh, couples together. But yeah, I saw some um, pretty solid Drakes, but none of them had the appropriate scarf. Just you know, that was some poor Drakes. Well, how, right much the, how much? The, how much? the cosplays uh, Drake from Uncharted Three? Fuck that game. You want, they all you, did. They were all Drake from Uncharted Three. Every single last man, Jack of them. 
Well, I guess you don't want to uh, cosplay as Drake from Uncharted 2 because then you have to put on like a wool coat and you're gonna be super hot. Um, <laughs> um, no, I saw. I only saw good, non-objectionable cosplay. Oh, the, actually, the only nudity or semi-nudity I saw in cosplay was I saw a dude who played a sim. What are they called? Like a character from The Sims who was naked. So yeah. he he was walking around. He was super ripped, and he had like a little thing with the. With oh the yeah, like a little, little gem. Yeah. And then he had made like a box. Uh, there was like a painted a cardboard box that he wore on his waist that was his same skin tone but pixelated, like it was being blurred out. Very cool. Very so cool. the only half naked cosplay I saw was half naked cosplay I wanted to see. Thank you. So it was fine. That guy was hunky. I'm just saying. Um. So Great. yeah. So it was yeah. pretty much that in the hot panel. And that was kind of cool just to see the, uh, they had a they they uh hey Ash what you playing guys showed up. They dressed like they played Spelunky for half an hour for everybody. Which at was panel. it should have been annoying and obnoxious, but it was actually really charming. I, think. I mean, that's what they and they were dressed like Spelunky characters. So at yeah. least if they were gonna be like you know indulge in the Spelunky, they took it all the way. But then they then they showed the last two episodes of the Hey Ash, uh, What You Playing season finale, and they were spe- specifically yeah yeah they really they lo- loaded it with like a big preamble like Hey guys, we're really worried that this is slut shamey, but this is important to us, so we want to hear your feedback and let us know how we did. And then thereafter was me getting increasingly more uncomfortable because <laughs> the, there's been a, the thread of this web series this season as, and as much as there is one is that um, the protagonist Ash has a uh, antagonist this lady who's a, cam, a web uh, like a YouTube cam girl thing not unlike gamer. us right now yeah exactly and uh, so uh, they have a big conflict and so of, uh, of course here you have your slutty cam girl gamer and then there's Ash who's just objectifying her and implying that she's nothing but a 3DS plan and uh, um, it was uh, the whole po- and then they're both interrupted and the whole point is that okay so both part you by accusing this person of being a fake geek girl are part of the problem, and you by, you know, it was, it was point, identifying that both of them were at fault in this conflict. Literally as we were watching this video that was trying to address in a humorous way this whole issue of how women are treated in gaming, Mike Rahulik was bringing up Dick Wolves in the Q&A panel. Yeah. At least we don't have to hear about that until we got home on the train later on. Yeah, well, it's funny, because, like, my last week patch uh, was great. Yeah, no, was, like, we both had great perfect. patches, and then just... Yeah. My crew like had to go fart in everyone's mouths. We're just even dimly aware. And the funny thing is, he's essentially he's essentially the, the, the ah, I can't. He's essentially saying he regrets making an apology, and then he yeah. follows that up with another apology. Yeah. And then he's probably got to sit there wonder why not? Why not come people? Why 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 are they not like this apology? You yeah. Know, just like fucking. I even it's, it's it's even beyond even like sexual politics or any kind of jokes mm-hmm. about the original strip. It's just. Mm-hmm. He's acting like a fucking creep. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think this... I mean, the PAX is so popular these days, it actually makes it really easy to say, hey, this is my last PAX, because it's almost impossible to get into PAX these days if you're a normal human being. I mean, if you're press and stuff and you have the decision to go, that's a different story. But yeah, if you're like us, we're like... And we almost didn't get tickets this year. I was yeah. sitting on Twitter because I had heard from some people like, hey, you guys might want to stick around and be online because PAX tickets are going to go available, uh, go on sale today. And so I was waiting for that shit to happen that afternoon. The PAX uh, tickets went on sale. And I was squatting on there. And as soon as the tickets went live, I went in. And like even with me waiting for those tickets to go live, still like the, the, the full day, the, the four-day pass sold out immediately even before I could get in there. And yeah. I barely got the tickets that we got. And it's just like... It's just it's just too much fucking hassle for. I mean, Pax is great, but man, fucking somebody's gonna create another con, and it's it's Pax is not the end all be all of geek and gaming conventions. It is right now, but like, it does it's not always gonna be that. 
So, and it's fuck. just, yeah, it just, the whole situation feels uncomfortable. I don't know. I'm just tired of hearing about the guy, too. Everything else aside, it's like, who gives a shit? It's just Mike Rahulik. It's just it was one of the Penny Arcade guys. Granted, you know, they, they, they've done, done a lot of good things for the industry, but at the same time, it's also just like, you know, if the guy's going to consistently be that much of an idiot, just walk away. It's, and at it's, the end of the day, sh- like, I almost, I really struggled going to PAX this year, and I wound up going, and then this happened. And then oh, I, I get... saw all kinds of people who on Twitter were like, I'm never stepping foot in PAX again, who had said this years ago. Yeah. Oh, PAX. And I, like, going to the giant bomb panel, Half of those motherfuckers are sitting there waiting, like like sitting in the front row. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, what are you gonna I do? Really, I, I mean, I you know, I really was torn, and <laughs> when I was reading about everything that's happening, and I just felt I had such a great experience. I had such a wonderful time, disregarding all the crap. Oh, I got and, to uh, talk to Robert Koo for ten seconds. There, there was the big Ryan Davis memorial panel where they had a live Dixieland jazz band. That was fucking fantastic. I'd never heard a live j- a Dixieland jazz band in, in 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 my in person in my life before, and that was fucking great. It was like almost like a New Orleans wake. It was fantastic, and, and I'm sitting there standing outside the panel room just watching all this stuff happen. And Robert Koo just happens to sidle up next to me because he wants to see uh, this band too, and I just got to shoot the shit uh, for, with him for ten seconds and. Man, fucking Pax, you know, that's kind of a cool thing. You know, you go to Pax and you hear, you know, the, 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 essentially the manager of all this shit standing right next to you, and I don't know. It's at the end of the day, I was just like, so I had this positive experience, and now I feel like garbage about it. Yeah. I don't want to be in that situation. Like everything yeah. else aside, we should not feel that beholden to Penny Arcade that it has to be this much of like, oh my god, should we support Penny Arcade or not? Just don't fucking support. It. It's not. Uh, yeah. It's, it's yeah, whatever. I'm not even. It's not. I'm not even wringing my hands anymore. Just fuck it. Yeah. You know? Anyway. It's, life's too short to have the founds about it. Oh, and the other thing is, like, people almost got killed the giant pa- uh, giant bomb panel because they were whipping copies of Last of Us, like, ninja swords, or, like, ninja stars into the audience, and also giant boxes of Disney Infinity toys, oh, like, geez. collector sets, just, like, hurling them into the audience. That was fantastic. That was also a great uh, panel. Um, there's nothing more to say about that unless you're a giant fawn fan and you're not so gives a shit. Uh, what else? Those are me entering thoughts and feelings on PAX, and this segment was not interesting, so let's move on to something else. I thought that was going to be our last PAX. That was good PAX to go out on. Yeah. Cheesecake, toys, sexism. We got it all. That's the video game industry in a nutshell right there. Oi. So, anyway... Uh, let's see, what else did you do this week? Did we say oh. we were just going to spend like five minutes talking about PAX and it's like 45 minutes later? It's the nature of the Boyati podcast. We don't have anything to talk about this week eight hours later. Oh, the fact that they did not announce uh, the Xbox. This is the weird thing because they also last Why week... Why did you think they were going to? Why would they make six If Microsoft that? is going to announce the launch no. date of the new console, no. why wait until the day after PAX? Because they want to have you on the news. It's they not don't like they weren't in town. They don't want to be part of someone else this new cycle. They want to have their own new cycle. This is their first console in like what seven years, eight years. They want that to be the news. Dick they don't want to be fourth on April, uh, on September twenty second. Buy your new console. I'm just um, saying. I'm, just I'm saying. not saying. I'm not saying. I mean, I'm just surprised they waited to like literally the day after. Is all I'm saying. It's kind of weird. Because it's gonna, it's gotta be about them. It's not about PAX. Did you see the new consoles at PAX? Speaking, of, I like we're not even talking about the actual new consoles that they had. Did you see the PlayStation Four? I got to hold an Xbox One controller and a PS4 controller. Did you lick them? I did not. You know, that's I, probably where you got disease. No, wondering I how used you got my hand sick. sanitizer immediately afterwards and then went and wash my hands. <laughs> No, let's stop know. talking about packs. This is not interesting. I got to see. I got to see the Wind Waker bundle for the Wii U that no one's ever gonna buy because. Eh. 
Hey, I finished Saints Row 4 this week. What do you think of Saints Row 4? Saints Row 4 was really interesting because the gameplay was so joyous. Spoilers for Saints Row 4. <laughs> I'm not going to give you spoilers. I'm just saying the gameplay was so joyous and so fun, but it How felt you so not get into Bill, can I talk? Yeah, <laughs> Monster ending. Wait, which ending did you get? Are there more? Are there multiple endings? Yes, there are two different endings. Just like the Saints Row 3. Oh, I got the ending that was the dance party. Yeah, okay, that's what I got, too. That, that's the good ending. The bad ending just sounds like the same ending, but no dance party. And no time <laughs> no time travel, supposedly. Oh, um, you lose the spoilers. There's a Jane Austen-related punchline <laughs> at the end of Saints Row 4. I, mean, I would like to see Saints Row 5 be a continuation of this, just to have Saints uh, Jane Austen as a homie. That <laughs> like, would be come on. I was actually really disappointed if that, that after the credits rolled, Saints yeah. Jane Austen was not a homie. And you actually get, like, Emma Thompson or somebody, like, some kind of big wig, you know, to actually voice her. Uh, so, no, no, I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. Your thoughts about Saints Row 4. Saints Row 4 was a lot of fun. The gameplay was so joyful, and I enjoyed it very much, but I I was really kind of... Everyone is saying, how, oh, it's better than Saints Row 3. When It was just an expansion. It was so painfully an expansion. No, they are definitely two halves of the same whole. I mean, it's hard three, to, like, yeah. I mean, beyond just being bolted on top of Saints Row 3, um, that all of... All, like, the majority of the missions are just missions that ask you to perform, like, ambient objectives in the world. Like that was it felt so. Oh yeah, kind no, of... that's that's why I feel it, it does real feel really expansion packy. Yeah. Um, because it really is like yeah, as soon as you uh, meet a new homie and you do the their loyalty mission, yeah, it's just really for the next half hour. It's just Pierce saying, "Hey, why don't you go start a fight over here? Oh, yeah. I can hack into this data cluster if you collect five more data clusters. Oh, what if was you really could, interesting yeah. is that yeah. I've been having a stressful time at work, and when I get stressed out at work, I love to go play mindless open world games. Yeah. So I went home. Is... And... I just randomly started doing all the objectives, which meant that every time I'd go talk to a homie, they're like, hey, go do this for me. I would have done it, and they would say, oh, good job. Way to do that thing for me. Oh, Thanks. the worst part of the game design-wise was actually uh, the hacking of the stores. I fucking hated that shit. So that's the first thing I did to get out of my way. I ate my vegetables so I can get to the, to the dessert faster. And so I did all that out of the way, and so Kinsey, like, the, the next time I met Kinsey, she was like, oh, here's the 15,000 things I'm supposed to give you as a result of unlocking all the stores. And she gave me all, like, the weapons and shit like that. Um, but yeah, Saints Row 4 is a good game. It was really enjoyable. I don't know it's if it's worth... I, see, I feel weird. I don't want to say that it's not worth $60, because I definitely got my $60 worth of enjoyment from it. But it felt so much like an expansion. I don't know. Are you going to buy the DLC? Yeah, why not? I like Saints Row. I'll pay. They say, oh, this is another thing they were talking about supposedly at the giant bomb panel where they were saying supposedly there was a thing where like I don't know why I'm dancing while I'm talking. I just suddenly feel like being an MST3K puppet robot. Because you How really you like to do all these visual things. It's gonna be terrible when this, this is really. Funny. I never get this. Year. I'm the kind of guy when I get uh, in front of the mirror, I'll just spend half an hour just like making faces at myself, laughing. Anyway, no, at the giant bomb panel, supposedly uh, Jeff Gersman he said that. Uh, there was a story that happened where uh, Volition Entertainment, the guys who make Saints Row, um, they had a local newspaper come visit their offices uh, where um, the, the, this local newspaper was doing a big, big, oh, local boys make good. These this Volition Company, they're making this big hit new video game for the Nintendos called Saints Row 4. And uh, supposedly they took a picture of a whiteboard that... According to Jeff Gersman, had a list of all the DLC and including submission dates and everything for all, everything for Saints Row 4 that's going to come out. And one of the uh, DLC packages was titled "The Saints Save Christmas," and that sounds fantastic. That I sounds very Saints Row. So, yeah, that, I mean that's more Saints, Saints Row exactly. Yeah, Saints Row could almost exist as just like mission pack 
stuff they just bolt on yeah. to Saints Row 3 and just 4 at this goofy, point. Goofy one-shots. I mean, I know they're talking about they're going to reboot the franchise next generation. Just, I mean, this, where do you go from here? With the time travel yeah. aspect, you could do some kind of weird Saints Row, or not Saints Row, Assassin's Creed kind of bullshit. Like I thought parody. it was really interesting that they, um, they wrapped up all of Saints Row canon? That was not yeah. unexpected. No, this game was very much they're going back into the past. They're like tying the whole Saints Row thing up into a big bow and then fucking it and throwing it into a time machine. Um, it was adorable. That game was adorable. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, fuck Zinyak, though. That guy was an asshole. What a lame villain. It's not like Saints Row is known for its notable villains, but, like, but I do like your dumb gang members so much. I there's a whole... The thing with... Uh, uh, I do like the fact that uh, Keith David does not actually turn out to be a total villain at the end. He, he, he takes a turn for the worst for a while. But then, like, his redemption mission... all If you've not seen They Live, and if you don't love the movie They Live... That entire mission, you're just going to be sitting there going, well, I, Roddy Piper just showed up for some reason, I guess? Yeah, that's how I felt, Bill. I've never <laughs> yeah. seen They Live. So I'm like, that's I know this is a They Live joke. I think. They keep fucking, and they fight for ten minutes in the game like they do in the movie. And it's just like, wow, they spent half their motion capture budget on this one scene alone, this ten-minute fight between these two guys again. Yeah. I am so bummed that they had Keith David in a video game, and they never made a D- Keith David emptying the coin slot of a Donkey Kong machine joke. If you go to Google.com and you type into the Google.com YouTube, and then if you type into YouTube.com, <laughs> Keith David Donkey Kong, you'll find an episode of Mr. Rogers. This is when Keith David was like four years old. And Keith David's playing the guy who cleans out the coin slot in the Donkey Kong machine in like 1982 or something like that. It's charming as hell. It's not, My it's, favorite part of the Boy Howdy podcast is when we tell stories that we told two weeks ago in the last Boy Howdy yeah, podcast. <laughs> Now that we're doing this live stream, we got a whole new audience. Uh, Andy, you know what this is like? This is like at the end of Saints Row 4 when they're broadcasting of the fight between the boss and Zinyak to the whole galaxy. This is us right now. I am Zinyak. You you are the voice of the common man. What You're the female voice number one boss. Beating my ass with logic. Bill, we could catch you off right there. So Saints Row 4 was a lot of fun. The other game I played this week was I got a chance to um, beat Hate Plus. It's really a good game. Fantastic. Hey Plus is, of course, the video game version of uh, Steve Bagg's seminal 1990s webcomic, Hates, featuring Buddy Bradley and the Bradley Clan, published by Fantagraphics Comics. How is this game? This is a really good game. <laughs> sequel to Analog Hate Story, which we've talked about extensively in the podcast, which is a fascinating game in that it is a largely... It is disingenuous to call it a text uh, to a visual novel, when really it is essentially... I'm fascinated by this as a gameplay mechanism. You're reading journal entries and log entries from a ship that you're salvaging, and as you do so, interact with the AI of that ship, who is present for those experiences. And you're, the, the gamey part of the game is that you can read these entries and whatever sequence you so choose, and then your relationship with the AI changes over the course of the game, mm-hmm. which is just a, a, an interesting interesting way to tell a story, and so cool. The other thing that's remarkable about this game is that um, uh, you the story it tells is one of misogyny, misogynistic culture, and the experiences of both men and women in that culture, and how they're warped by their uh, by that culture. So Analog Hate Story was a really interesting um, game and a really interesting self-contained narrative. So I was curious when um, uh, Christine Love, the developer, announced a sequel. In reality, Hate Plus is both a sequel and a prequel at the same time. Um, it, t- 
it's the story of you and whichever AI you wound up with at the end of uh, Analog on your way back to Earth. Um, and you have uh, three days until you return to Earth. And during those day, three days, and the game does actually make you play the game over the course of three days, you have a limited amount of energy. And so when you initially start playing the game, you use up all the energy and have to wait 12 hours or 24 hours before you can access any more logs. So the game it takes place over the course of three days, and the fastest you can play is over the course of three days, which is a mm-hmm. great, which is a great way to. Um, they do a, a couple of things like that, which to make you the player feel like the protagonist of this game, which is really very clever. But it's um, so you're experiencing, you're developing, continuing this relationship with this AI at the same time the entries that you're now reading are about the founding of this culture and how it became so misogynistic. And oh, okay, that's cool, yeah. It's really, really fascinating. The um, you, you, Without spoilers, you get to see at least one character that you're familiar with from the, um, the first game, even though it takes place hundreds of years before the events of the first game. Mm-hmm. And um, the, uh, uh, the way the culture changes is interesting. It explores, like, the three... Romantic relationships you see, well, you see a bunch, but the the three primary romantic relationships you see in this past are um, a lesbian relationship, a gay male relationship, and then a hetero relationship, and how all of those relationships are damaged and warped by the way the society changes. It's a really clever storytelling mechanic. I'm incredibly impressed with it, and as soon as I finished, I wanted to replay it, because depending on which AI you have with you as you're reading these entries, I can only imagine your experience is going to be dramatically different. Yeah, well, the first game had, like, 12 different endings. Does this seem right. like it has the same thing, too? Yeah. Well, even beyond the endings, I'm talking about the... Well, just... just experiences yeah. are going to be dramatically different. Like, I can't say why without spoiling the game altogether. But if you enjoyed Analog, I highly recommend Hate Plus. It was an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. How much is it? Money. I can't remember. Worth it. Okay. Worth every penny. Well, if you're trying to talk uh, normal Joes into buying, like, it's, 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 it's... I think it's... ten bucks. The first game was ten bucks. But oh, okay. imagine this equals ten bucks. It's, but it is a game that's only for if you really enjoy reading. Like, yeah. it's, it's largely just text-based. I'm actually kind of sad because my wife, my wife loves reading, but she doesn't, um... She, it's not her jam. It just would not be her thing. And it breaks my heart because she would enjoy it so much. <laughs> Can you just read it aloud to her? Fuck no. Hey, Foley, no. I am, I, I, I am at the, the door number three. I have to turn these three switches left. Are there like puzzles in the game, or is it just all? No, there was the a. Game, there were no puzzles. Well, there's no. There was some like you got to puzzle the computer and reroute some stuff. Yeah. There was a puzzle element to Analog Hate Story, and it is gone. But not in this at least one. from the AI that I experienced. Yeah, because that, that stuff kind of stymied me because I, I loved exploring the world, especially because you're going through records and things like that. It's not just yeah. someone telling you, here is my life story. I stole a goat, and the goat ate my face. No, you're actually like, it's a little gone homey in that. You're, you're actually like kind of piecing the, together the story that happened a long time ago for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm glad to see that the sequel is more focused on that stuff rather than just like our Well, I would say that the, the reason why that was present is the whole idea of you making you feel like the person in this moment, and you as a salvager are having to address more than just uh, the um, uh, the salvaging aspect. You're actually also having to deal with the realities of the ship. And on top of that, those puzzle elements force you under time restraints, which have not been present in the game oh, yeah, before yeah. that moment, to make a decision that impacts the rest of the game. So Not unlike the best Zelda game, Majora's Mask. Yeah, sure. Yes. 
That's a, never, that's a comparison I understand. I, I You want to trade? I'll play Hey Plus if you play Majora's Mask. Nope. We'll, we'll compare notes. I literally do not have, have very little interest <laughs> in talking about Hey Plus with you. <laughs> no, that's fine. You don't, you don't want to talk about Zelda anyway. Um, you should have had a shirt at PAX saying, fuck Zelda. <laughs> I don't... I have... I, no, really I know you don't hate Zelda. Really and, like, I made the Windows logo out of Cherry Starburst. I really enjoy you keep doing these visual gags in our podcast build. Um... Oh, what else you been doing? Ugh, Starburst to be sticky. I have been playing. Let's put this is going to be mirrored on the podcast, but I've been playing Raymond Legends and Wonderful 101, which I bought at PAX because they were selling it early at PAX. <laughs> um, both games are terrible. Are they really? Are yeah, don't bu- don't buy a Wii. It's bullshit. Even the two best games are all just fucking bullshit. Fucking okay. So next, we're giving away two free games on the podcast. This no, actually no. These are the two, what two of the best reasons to own a Wii. Um, it's unfortunate. It's it's weird because one of them is available on every other platform. (laughs) I know exactly. No, it's a shame that like, uh, why Nintendo did not not get exclusive rights. Uh, That they did not uh, how what do you call it? That that. I can't. I just have a stroke because I can't believe how stupid Nintendo is. That they did not procure uh, exclusivity for Rayman Legends for at least for you know the first couple months that the game should have been out for the Wii U blows my fucking mind because this is definitely one of the best games on the Wii U. Uh, mm-hmm. Uses the touchscreen controls are fantastic. There are some stages where you're controlling characters with 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 the, with the stylus on the touchscreen. There are some stages where you have to like slice through cake and create caverns for characters to walk through and do all kinds yeah. of crazy things. Uh, there's you know basic normal side-scrolling stuff, just like from a Mario game. Uh, it's It's got great, great, fantastic music and sound and stuff, and it's just it's just a great fucking platform. Blows new Super Mario Brothers all to fucking hell. That, yeah, that Nintendo cannot convince Ubisoft to make sure that got out back in November when the Wii U really needed a new piece of software. It would have been the first game that had come out for the console since the launch, and for some reason, Nintendo couldn't pull that off, and Ubisoft pulled their pulled their their marketing and decided, "Fuck it, we'll do, like it's not worth us marketing just the Wii U version of this game by itself. We're just going to roll it on with all the other versions that we already have planned when it comes when that shit's going to come out in September." And it's kind I of will a shame say that playing the demo for Rayman Legends on the Xbox 360, those elements that are all touch based on the Wii U are still there. They're just that is weird. Yeah, other context and they feel weird. I weird. should download that just to see how they translate some of that stuff because it's like the the touch screen stuff is not just like you're just touching a button on the screen. A lot of it is very much like like I said, carving through slices, giant right. slices of cake, or laying down big thick levels of guacamole for characters to run on top of and all 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 kinds of different shit. Yeah. And uh, what'd you think of the demo for the 360 then? I enjoyed it. I mean, those games. I really enjoyed. What was the last one called? Rayman. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's essentially beautiful. the same thing, just on the Wii version. It's got touch controls. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful game. And you can play Lady Viking. Oh, yeah. and she's got three thousand different skins. So if you want to play Day of the Dead, Lady Viking, you got that. <laughs> if you want to play as Goth, <laughs> Lady Viking, you got yeah, it's all kinds of uh, great stuff. Wonderful One Hundred One. I've tried a little bit of. I played the first stage. That game is fucking mystifying as balls. Again, no, I that's love how you're like, I'm gonna get this game early. I'm gonna get this game early. I'm not gonna play it until it's out for a good <laughs> well, no, Raven Legends showed him. Raven, Raven Legends is easy to play. It's just pick, <laughs> it's you play platform. Yeah, you just pick up and play. It's pretty easy. You know, it's just fun just to blow off. Wonderful One Hundred One. It's like learning calculus. Because yeah. like I said, it's like imagine if Pikmin moved at ten times faster than Pikmin does. And and then you could turn people into robots and guns and stuff depending on how you draw shapes on this on the screen and there's all kinds of like 
unlockables, and there's just, just shitloads of game systems on top of game systems mm-hmm. that it seems like you would have to play that game at least twice to really understand what's going on in Wonderful 101. Because I've heard people talk about, like, some people in Japan have already beaten the game, and they're like, yeah, I did not really understand what was actually, like, like some of the stuff in this game was for until, like, the last stage, after I've played the game for 30-plus hours. Oh, and wow. so it's a little intimidating, but... And then, like I said, it's a fast-action game, too. It would be something else if it was, like, an RPG where you kind of sit back and think about stuff. But no, it's like, you could easily get wiped out if you don't understand exactly what's happening in any, in any given situation. And it's, it's it's not bad, it's just, like, chaotic and... Ugh. And if you're just playing... If you just want to pick up a game and play it for fun... Yeah, it's not that ca- Raymond Legends because it's got beautiful music and it's all kind of like ah, I can float on the clouds and woo, you know that's fun to play. Whereas Raymond Legends is like or uh, Wonderful One One is like, yeah, red hot poker up your butt. And if you like that kind of thing, yeah. but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just want a uh, cupcake on your penis. You don't want the red hot poker up your butt. Well, with that lovely note, let's go and talk about some geek week and review stuff, shall we? Is this going to be the official break where we edit? Here's some music from Bill. We'll come back and do a thing. Roll the credits. <laughs> Is that Burt Bacharach? Because that totally sounds like my friend. Yeah? Yep. Hey, everybody, we're back. It's time for the Geek Week interview <laughs> in brief because Annie is not doing so good and needs to go lay down. We've only been talking for, like, three fucking hours. Uh, Bob Peterson, the writer and director of Up, was kicked off his next Pixar film, The Good Dinosaur, by John Lasseter for undisclosed reasons. He was touching too much butts in the cereal buffet line at Pixar. That was my joke. When John Lasseter was made head of Disney and everything, and everyone's like, oh, man, this is going to mean this new age. And now all these weird things keep happening. Yeah, he keeps on firing people off their projects. This is the guy who made Up. Which is one of the, uh, like, objectively one of the best Pixar films ever. Uh, yeah, I guess he's got booted right the fuck off his project. And it's a little bit alarming because John Laster, he kind of has shitty fucking taste. Not maybe not shitty, but this is the guy who thinks cars was a good idea. He's well, yeah, guy... so John Laster was going to be like the second coming of animation at Disney. And yeah. we get, what was it, the Voodoo Princess movie and... Brave? Brave, and Brave gets its lady director kicked off of it, and the whole weirdness with Ratatouille happens, and now this was Yeah, this is good, yeah. I mean, does a movie about a dinosaur need to be that, like, what the fuck is so... (laughs) Just make a good dinosaur movie, guys. It's not that hard. I hear what happens. They're going to have J.J. Abrams come in and he direct it. He's going to make it so the dinosaur is actually con, and I don't know. I'm going to make some Star Trek joke I can't even think about. Also, John Cars, the director of Paperman, left Disney this week. Uh, just because he just, yeah. He remembered he left his oven on. <laughs> yeah, no, he didn't leave the studio. He just, he just, he just left the building and came back. But then people were like, "Did you hear the guy directed Paperman left?" But he's coming. He just went to go get lunch. These are the jokes, you guys. It's These not that much of a story. Jokes. But yeah, Paperman. It's unfortunate because he can't complete the other six chapters of the Paperman saga that he had planned. <laughs> Duh. I wanted Paperman origins. Where did the paper come from? I wanted about the trees. <laughs> I well, originally they were gonna reboot the franchise by going back in time. Miyazaki oh, formally announced his retirement in Tokyo this week. The first time he's officially retired, despite claiming to have retired after finishing every film since Princess Mononoke. Yeah, John Lasseter's good friend Hayao Miyazaki. Did you see the footage from the press conference where Miyazaki just had the shirt that just said "fuck y'alls" and he didn't even talk to anybody? 
You're just like, hmm. I like that shirt joke, Bill. That was a really good joke. I've only recycled it twice in one podcast. So <laughs> no, you know, yeah, Miyazaki, after, I think every film since Mononoke has come out, and he's never made an official proclamation, but like in interviews, he's always like, yeah, I think this is the last one. I'm just, I just want to go home and plant some fucking flowers and look at the sunset. And this is, yeah, they actually had a press conference. So, I mean, this is, there's, I mean, there's nothing keep, from keeping him from coming back if he wants to, but I'm kind of curious who's going to be the head of the studio now, because you still have... Takahata, who is the guy who pretty much directed most of the movies at Studio Ghibli that wasn't Miyazaki. Although you got Miyazaki's kid who's directing movies now. He did the terrible Legend of Earthsea movie, and he did this from up on Poppy Hill that just came out. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of, I mean, if Miyazaki really is retired, that's kind of a bummer. Although, supposedly yeah. this Wind Rises movie is supposed to be really good, and people are saying if you're going to go out on a high note, this is a good high note to go on. I, mean, I do think it's interesting that both he and George Lucas were like, I'm going to make my weird World War II movie. I'm out. Yeah, I'm done. Just give me my money. I gotta go. I gotta go make some ramen, and have sex with my black wife, who's awesome. She's gonna have my baby. Disney will be releasing the Wind Rises in America next year. Ariete and From Up on Puppy Hill were both released by another much smaller indie film company. Oh, I didn't know that. So that's again John Lasseter. You know what I heard is that Miyazaki quit because John Lasseter was about to throw him off the Wind Rises. Oh, that's a joke. It's also a joke. He said, you know what, what if, instead of this movie being about the guy who invented the Japanese Zero Airplane, what if the main actor is the Japanese Zero Airplane? <laughs> Voiced by Dane Cook. <laughs> if, Miyazaki, you know what, if this is what it takes to get a movie released in America these days, fuck him out. I'm pretty sure that's the Disney Infinity level. The the wind rises, planes. Oh my god! So at the giant bomb panel at PAX, they were handing out these Disney Infinity, all this Disney Infinity stuff, and like you had people going back up onto the stage trying to get like more copies, more toys, more copies of the game and stuff. It was just like a fucking feeding frenzy. It was fucking ridiculous. Fucking hate people. Humans. Although um, it was funny that they were handing out, because, like, your average person at PAX is not going to have bought Disney Infinity, so it's funny that they're throwing out figures to people who are never going to buy the game. So I can kind of see people saying, true. can I get a copy of the game to go with this? But Counterpoint, Bill. There is no average person at PAX. There's 100,000 people. Even if only 10,000 people there are into Disney Infinity, which they're likely to be because it's a that's game true, with fig- minifigures and a collecting component. And, like, those are going to be people who are going to be there passionate at PAX about those things. Which yeah. which Disney Infinity, uh, Infinity figures did you pick up this week? As soon as they do a Robin Hood one, man, I'm going to be first in line. Would you, actually, would, would you actually do that? I'll buy the figures, of course. It's all statue. The designs on them are beautiful, dude. Mm-hmm. I'm not missing out on that garbage. Have you, have you seen the Pete's Dragons stuff? Are you, you're making a joke. Pete's Dragons? No, they're like... No, no, the Apple Dumpling Gang set is fantastic. <laughs> the Incredible Mr. Limpet? Yeah. Was <laughs> uh, that a Disney movie? I think it is. <laughs> oh my god, if they actually did just... Like, it's just... This whole stage is just a big thing of water with a submarine in World War II and you're just a... a, a <laughs> I would I would also buy the Nobs Movie Sticks one. I want a little disembodied armor and a little uh Oh that would be cool. Man, you know what if they did Mary Poppins, I'd be right if they all you need is a little penguin. Yeah, Bill. Oh my god. And that's more likely. Also that would make sense in the universe too. Also Mary Poppins fiftieth anniversary is next year, they'll probably do that. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, did I mention how I was at the hotel? I flipped out of you about the ja- the NHK news channel. 
on the cable newsroom at PAX. You mentioned it in passing. And the hotel news. But yeah, so, like, at this this one last uh, PAX anecdote. Uh, the weirdest thing, you know, I've got a hotel room, they have cable. They have the NHK Japanese news network there. And so, uh, every day you come home from PAX and fire up the, the, the TV, and it's all nothing but wall-to-wall news about Syria, how everyone's getting killed over there, how it's terrible, it's, it's apocalypse, everyone's dying. And then they cross-cut between that to a show called Kawaii International, which is a Japanese program about looking for the, the the cream of the crop of Kawaii fashion and toys and candy throughout the world, and so it's all about like how to make cookies with your with your cookie DJ Cookie Boy, and like making like here's I made a cookie that's a high heeled shoe with like little extra cookies on stuff on that, and it goes back to Syria about death and destruction. <laughs> It's like, man, I love Japanese news. This is the best. I feel like I'm going crazy. Anyway, that's my story about PAX. <coughs> and talking about Kawaii International. We were talking about, uh, I don't know, some shit. It's the PAX. Amazon Matchbook. Bill explained to me what Amazon Matchbook is. Amazon Match. No, this is uh, this is something I was I was hoping uh, Amazon would have done a long time ago. Uh, they're gonna make it so you can buy for super cheap Kindle versions of all the uh, well, not all the books, but a lot of the books that you've ever bought from Amazon. They're gonna have Kindle versions of, and if you've bought the hard copy books ever from Amazon, as long as it's in their Kindle library, you could like just drop a buck or two and you'll get the Kindle version. Ooh. So that's kind of nice. So, I mean, if there's a book that you bought from Amazon like 10 years ago that you've since sold, you can buy the Kindle version of it. If, if there will be a Kindle version of it, you'll be able to, like, you know, because they can keep track of your accounts. That's actually really helpful for a ladylike, because Foley and I usually get the physical copy to add to our bookshelf. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. digital thing. Oh, that's what so, I never, I, for some reason, I assume uh, Amazon would never do this, but, I mean, it's a little... <laughs> well, it'd be nice if you got the Kindle version for free. Yeah. You the same thing if you got a CD, then you'd get the MP3, which is why one day I got an email that was like, Congratulations! Your copy of Master and Commander that you bought in 2004 is now available in MP3 form! Oh, fuck. What is today's date? September. It is the... Eighth. Oh, on Friday, I just <laughs> Amazon just took eighty bucks out of my account. I just realized. I'm glad I had money in my bank account. My Prime membership just went up anyway. So uh, yeah. it's a really good story, Bill. I know. No, the um, no, but it makes sense because yes, you could argue that they're robbing from people who would spend that money anyway. But most people buy one or the other. They're not buying both. And yeah, exactly, that, means yeah. that now everyone who has ever bought a book from Amazon is a potential Kindle user. That that's that's a huge thing. And also, I've bought a lot of big ass books from Amazon. So if I could just get Kindle version of that, I could read on the iPad. That'd be fucking aces. I'd love that yeah. shit. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it'll, and and hopefully that'll that'll actually get more develop uh, more publishers into making ebooks versions of their older books. Because you know most publishers these days will make ebook versions of whatever they're new they're publishing. Right. But hopefully this will. Yeah, maybe some older stuff that's out of print, out of physical print. Maybe we'll try to make some Kindle versions. I don't know. It's just it's not a bad thing. Um, Amazon's horrible, but. Hey, at least if anything that makes it easier for users to get their content back. Is I was going to say, at least they're a consumer-friendly nightmare. <laughs> yeah, Something. I mean, they've only destroyed so much of small business in America, but at least they're fun about it. What? Mad Max Fury Road will be reshooting for most of November in Sydney with Aborigines, a bunch of scrawny white folk, and Tom Hardy. Yes. So yeah, I was wondering what's going on with that movie, because they filmed it, like, what, two years ago? And the release date was always uh, sometime in 2013. I mean, here it is, September 2013, 
and it hasn't come out yet, and they haven't said anything about it. And I think they, uh, in addition to the news about reshoots, is that they said that the release date won't be until 2015 now. Oh. But yeah, and it's gonna take a lot of a lot of time to do all those. Um, like um, they're gonna get the phantom cameras, and they're just gonna do um Tom Hardy taking mud baths the whole time. <laughs> but yeah, I just like because I I always wondered what happened to the Aborigines in Mad Max world, and I guess you're gonna see yeah. at least some of them in the in the new movie. But yeah, did you see that like the plot synopsis, like the character names are all. Bonkers! It's like, Bill, it's Mad Max. I know. What the? <laughs> so it's Mad Max protecting this convoy of women, which is, which is led by Protectorate Furiosa. <laughs> okay, that one's been known because that's Charlie's Theron. Yeah, that's Charlie's Theron, and all the characters are named like like Butt Scratcher and and Anal Destroyer, and it's just like I just lo- I forget how much I love the names of Mad Max characters because they're always just like. Yeah, it's it's and they actually there was uh, one publicity shot of Mad Max as Tom Hardy that came out. That <gasps> really? Was just, they, well, there was well there was a signed photo of Tom Hardy dressed as Mad Max right. that was kind of a blurry little picture. They yeah. did put out that high res version of that as the first official, and it's just him. It's just it's just sharper, and you can see that it's actually standing in front of a bike. And everyone's upset. It's like, is he just riding a bike? I want him to be in a car. Did he not Max have a motorcycle in the first Mad Max movie? Uh, no, he had the Interceptor V8, the last of the Interceptor V8s in the first two films. In the third, in the in Mad Max Thunderdome, he just had a big fucking truck thing that got all fucked up. But, right. Um, he had a unicycle for part of the first one. <laughs> and with that, hey everybody, this was the Boy Howdy podcast. Uh, we're no, we're not gonna. Howdy- we're not going to talk about the Xbox release date, though? The uh, September 11-22, whatever that is? It's coming out 11-22. You heard it here first. <laughs> you said, no! It comes out a week after the... What's the other console that's coming out? PS4. Yeah, the place... So, yeah, within seven days of each other, you got two new next-gen consoles coming out. Just, that's... That welcome to that's Pretty that's nuts. and that's gonna be the week before Black Friday. It's gonna be fucking nuts. Everyone's gonna be shooting each other in the supermarkets. So which console? Like, assuming you're gonna get either console, which one are you gonna get? We're gonna get PS4, but to be honest with you, we're kind of broke right now. We're thinking about canceling our pre-order and just waiting until actual yeah, games come out we that, care yeah. about. So the you launch know? titles, the launch lineups for both consoles are super fucking piss weak. Yeah. I think that there's nothing like really what what will be there that I care about that won't be on the last generation. You know what? So from a from a pure, just practical point of view, it'd, it'd be nice to have another Blu-ray player that's not the PlayStation 3. But that's not that's a reason to buy a whole new console. One TV in your house. I only have one. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I want it just because it's going to be new and pretty, but realistically I'm going to get it and it's going to collect dust until a game comes out that I care about. So I may as well yeah. just wait until a game comes out. Because I, I still have Amazon pre-orders for both, but yeah, I'm still kind of trying to figure out what I want to do. Yeah, I pre-ordered the PS4, but... Uh, You're going to miss out on that Xbox Day 1 achievement. Mm-hmm. Missing out on that anyway, my friend. I'm not getting an Xbox. <laughs> it cracks me up that they lost me. I was an Xbox purist, man, and they lost me. Weird. Mm-hmm. They lost everybody. I mean, that's that's. That, I mean, that's one of the other. If you hear listening to people talk about packs, or like, I oh, fuck the Xbox. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I shouldn't even brought it up because we already talked about the release date. I just didn't know if you cared about it or anything like that. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm gonna go take some Nyquil and sleep forever. Hey guys, this is Boy Howdy Podcast, boyhoudypodcast.com, at Boy Howdy Podcast on the Twitters. Uh, we're everywhere on the internet. You can say hi to us. We love you. Really... Hey, banging on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, hair. if you want, you can go online and watch the video. <laughs> this will have a I'm going to show my hair. 
I'm a horrendously ugly person, but I have fantastic Han Solo hair. <clears throat> That's my one asset. If I ever die in a crash, I hope my scalp just lands gently on top of a tree. You're luscious, Han Solo. Yeah, and like some kid <laughs> picks it up and sews it on. And he's like, oh this man, I got This reminds me of um, Sam and Max. There's an installment of Sam and Max where um, Max uh, dies terribly. He gets fried in this laser wall. But his body is in, his spirit is in Sam's body. So Sam um, takes Max's scalp <laughs> yeah. and puts it on his on his hand and then draws like <laughs> teeth. And he's like, it's like you're right there with me, buddy. He's like, yeah, right here. What's the non-character? I want some soup. Bill, if you ever die, I'm just gonna I take your scalp and put it on your hands and <laughs> my hands, and then I'm gonna be like, hey guys, I have an opinion. Hey, I wanna tell a story behind my record this one time. Okay, I'm done. You wanna talk? I got a joke about some shirt. Hey, okay, well, I'll share my farts, buttholes, farts, buttholes. Hey, it's, this is Boy Howdy Podcast. Goodbye, everybody, forever. I love you guys. We'll be back next week. Uh, bye. <laughs> I don't know if Annie has anything to say about it.